Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the North Point Community Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free North Point app where you can access all of our recent message content. And actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at North Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. How is it? How is it? How is it that a baby born in a very unremarkable village to otherwise two unremarkable peasant parents in what was considered the armpit of the Roman Empire? How is it that this baby born 2,000 years ago in the circumstances is adored by people all over? the world 2,000 years later. This is one of history's great mysteries Um, because tonight all over the world in every single time zone, people gathered like us by the dozens, by the hundreds, by the thousands to celebrate the birth of a Jewish baby in a city called Bethlehem that we wouldn't even know about had he not been born there. How is that? And this has been going on for 2,000 years that People actually adore a child that grew to be a Jewish rabbi that was eventually executed by Rome. And when I say it's one of history's great mysteries, it really is one of history's great mysteries because there's only a couple, there's really just two categories of options that explain not whether or not Jesus lived. There's no one disputes that anymore. That's kind of an old thing. Maybe the last time you heard about that, you were in college, but we've moved beyond that. But why, the question is, why is it 2000 years later, people still look at us? I mean, this is just one church, multiply this over and over and over. And then, you know, last year on this very same evening and the year before that on this very same evening. And there's just a couple options. One option is that the people who were in, that were part of the events, who documented what happened and the people who interviewed the people who were a part of what happened. Perhaps one option is they're just telling us the truth, but that what we celebrate that happened actually happened. That's one explanation for why 2000 years later, we come and adore him. The other explanation or the other category of explanations is that, well, we can't trust anything those people told us and that something else must have happened And while historians, secular historians, and I appreciate this, I love reading secular history. While they take a shot at explaining how the message of Jesus escaped the first century, what no one can explain and no one even tries to explain is how is it that 2000 years later, a Jewish day laborer born in Bethlehem is not just known about, I mean, we know about all kinds of historical characters, right? but he's adored and he's loved and he's worshiped. I mean, there's just one of two explanations. Either we just trust what the people who were there told us happened, happened, or we just come up with theories that again, can explain how Christianity survived the first century, but they stop there. They don't explain the spread of the church and the fact that tonight in every single time zone all over the world, millions of people gather to adore the baby Jesus. But what's undeniable is that since the first century, 
people have been gathering in his name and worshiping him, not as just a great leader, but as a savior, as a king, as a God. So here's how Matthew um, and his friend, or one of his, well, they were friends, Luke explained the story. And again, Matthew was there with Jesus and Matthew was a tax collector, as most of you know. He had people that worked for him. He had a business and he had scribes and scribes, they scribed. They just scribbled stuff down. They just wrote things down. So Matthew got an account of the life of Jesus. Luke, who said, I never met Jesus, but I talked to everybody I could find including John who took care of Mary and including Peter who spent, you know, several of his adult years with Jesus and wrote down an account. So I don't know how you explain it or if you've even thought about trying to explain it, but here's what the guys who were there said happened. This is how the birth of Jesus, the King or Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together, that's the you know, G-rated version of coming together. Before they came together, because it's a Christmas story, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, talking about the Torah, and there were rules about this, and he knew what he was supposed to do if his girlfriend or his, who was engaged to him was found to be pregnant, but he did not want to expose her to public disgrace he had in mind to divorce her privately. He was, a, he was a good guy. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. It's going to be awkward, but don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is of or from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son and you're to give him, we've already picked out a name, and you're to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua or Joshua, because he will save his people. And here is the surprise. No one would make this part up because it didn't fit at all. And he will save his people and the people in Palestine, the sons and daughters of Abraham, the Jewish people as we refer to them today, they definitely needed to be saved, but they needed to be saved from Rome. And the angel says, and your son is gonna save his people from their sin. To which Joseph could have thought, well, we don't need to be saved from sin. We have an entire temple for that. We have, a, we have a structure, we have an institution, we have a system, we know how to get our sins forgiven. We need to be saved from Rome. The angel says, your son, apart from the institution of the temple, is going to single-handedly save his people from their sins. And then if the story wasn't already complicated enough as it is, because nobody's gonna believe their story. In fact, they can't even share their story lest people think they're crazy. Luke, who said he thoroughly investigated all these things, says that in those same days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. And this is so interesting. Luke is a doctor and Luke gives us extraordinary detail about first century Palestine and that whole area of the world. And it's as if Luke, if you read the gospel of Luke, it's as if, it's as if Luke is saying, fact check me, I dare you. Because he pins down all of these incidents to specific historical context that could be checked. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, which in fact, of course, happened. And everyone had to go to their own town to register so that they could know how many people were still alive in the empire and if they were paying their taxes. So Joseph, because 
he was caught up in this, went up from the town of Nazareth, way up in Galilee, to Judea, to the town of Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. So he says, Mary, uh, I don't know how to tell you this. I mean, it's already complicated, but I have to go to Bethlehem. And I guess she said, well, you're taking me with you. You are not leaving me here because it's time for our baby to come. And he's like, well, you know, this is five days of camping. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, if you've ever been to that part of the world and you've walked around in either the heat of the summer or the, you know, the cold desert temperatures in the winter, four to five, probably five days on a donkey so they can go to Bethlehem to register. And I'm just making this part up, but I'm thinking about two days in, she's thinking, where is that angel? <laughs> While they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloth tight. And she placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. These are the details no one makes up. Because if you're writing this story long after it happened and you're just making stuff up, you, <laughs> you don't place the savior of the world in a manger. And she placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. They got there late and the city's packed with people who've come to register for the census. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord. I mean, Luke's writing this down. He's talked to all these people. This is, he's, he's an investigative reporter. He goes, this is what they said. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Luke's like, how was it? We were terrified, terrified. You sure you want that in the story? We were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be terrified. I bring you good news. This is amazing. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And they were thinking, of course, right here in Bethlehem or in the vicinity, the angels are like, no. 2,000 years from now, angel, shepherds, you're, you're a permanent part of the story. You, you are footnotes in the story of the event that would change the world. This is for all the people of every generation. Today in the town of David, right down there where all the lights are, a savior has been born to you. And then here's the part we gloss over. He is the Messiah. He is God's final king. And he is, the angel said, Lord. He's God's final king and he's divine. And days later, weeks later, weeks later, maybe years later when the shepherds, you know, with their families and their grandchildren are thinking through this, they're thinking, God chose us to announce the birth of his final king. And the angel said, and this will be a sign to you. You're gonna find this baby and you're gonna find the baby wrapped in cloths <laughs> to which they thought, that's not gonna help us much. Every, I'm not finished. And lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God. This is, this is so fabulous. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace on those on whom his favor rests. Do you know what this means? 
whether you believe this or not. It means that the God of Jesus, who Jesus says we're to call on as our heavenly father, that the God of Jesus favors you, whether you favor him or not. This is why the angel said, and this is why those who followed Jesus eventually latched onto this terminology and they called it good news. When you hear something that's good, you want it to be true even before you're convinced it's true. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, I think we should go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they eventually found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was sure enough lying in the manger. And that's when they knew they had found the right baby. And when they had seen him, they left and they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And everyone who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And they had no idea we would be here tonight telling their story. How can that be that so many, so many years later, in every time zone, in every nation, countries you've never heard of, languages you'll never hear spoken, adore the baby Jesus. About four years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, a very educated Pharisee from Syria, born in Syria, but raised in Jerusalem, who when he heard, first heard about the Jesus movement, was so concerned, he decided to put it out of business. I mean, if you're someone who hates Christians, the apostle Paul's your guy. I mean, you, you don't like Christians in your mind. You know, he didn't, he put them in, he arrested them, put them in jail. Maybe you think we should all, I don't know. But anyway, he hated Christians. And then he becomes a Jesus follower. And he realizes this really is good news. This is, this is good news for every single nation and every single generation. And he decides to leave the area of Palestine, Judea and Galilee. And he decides to travel all around the Mediterranean rim or the Mediterranean basin sharing this good news. We know him as the apostle Paul. And he writes a letter to a group of churches in the Roman province of Galatia. And in this letter, which is called Galatians, he gives his version of the birth of Jesus. But instead of giving the historical context, the apostle Paul, now imagine this, he's on the back end of it. Jesus has already been crucified and risen from the dead. He's about four years out from the resurrection. And he's a Jesus follower and he's looking back and he knows the whole story arc because he's a Pharisee and he studied the Torah and he understands the historical context. And he talks about the birth of Jesus, but he makes it very personal for you and for me. And as we're gonna see, he makes it personal for himself. I, I love this. Here's what he writes. But when this, uh, this is so amazing. But when the set time had fully come, when the set time had fully come, this is, this is a phrase that's pregnant with meaning. When the set time had fully come. In other words, when God had everything just the way he wanted it to be after he'd called a man named Abraham and Abraham became a family. And he said, Abraham, through your family, the whole world's gonna be blessed, but it never got blessed through Abraham and his family because it wasn't the right time. And Abraham's family became multiplied and multiplied and ended up in Egypt as a slave nation. And they're thinking, wait a minute, I thought, you know, we, we've always heard as kids that somehow we're gonna bless the world. The world's gonna be blessed through us. We're a slave nation and God sends Moses. He's like a Joshua, he's like a savior and he saves the nation, gets them out of slavery. 
And God establishes a covenant with Israel and he says to the prophets, Israel, this isn't about you. This is about the whole world. And one day the entire world is going to be blessed through you. And generation came and generation went and a generation came and went and came and went and came and went and they became a kingdom. And their second king, David, God said through a prophet, David, this isn't about you, it's about the whole world. And somebody in your lineage will one day show up and the whole world is gonna be blessed through that person, a king. But the time wasn't right. The Babylonians came, the Assyrians came, the Persians came, the Greeks came, eventually the Romans came. By this time, half of all the civilized world speaking Greek, same language, Latin is on the rise. Roman roads, the Mediterranean basin is safe. The port cities are safe. And at the right time, I love it. At just the right time, when the set time had fully come, Paul says, God decided this is it. And he sent his son. And he said, he sent his son, and here's the Christmas story part, born of a woman, that God sent his son into the world, just like we came into the world. Born of a woman, born under the law, which meant that Jesus was not above the law. And what that meant to the apostle Paul is this, that Jesus would experience life just like we experience it. The suffering, the chaos, the loss, the temptation, that God sent his son into the world. The apostle Paul's like, it's amazing. The story's amazing. At just the right time, God sends his son into the world as one of us to live as one of us in secret for 30 years before he finally makes himself known, born of a woman, born under the law. Then I think he sets his pen down because this is the part that's so personal for him and it's so personal for us. And for some of you, this used to be personal for you. And life just distracted you. And you got busy. You decided that faith is inconvenient. And this is still for you. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem or to purchase back those under the law. That, and I think this was the hardest word for him to write, that we, including Paul, that we, and. The apostle Paul was, he had a very, very embarrassing, sordid past. He had Christians arrested and tortured and women tortured. Husbands and wives separated and separated from their children. Some were tortured to death. Some he never even found out what happened to them. And he was guilty, he was responsible. And he writes, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship, to daughtership, to be an actual, get this, legal, actual, literal child of God. That the angels were right, a savior was born. That the angel to Joseph was right, that would save us from our sin, that would remove everything that stood between us and God in heaven. And the apostle Paul's like, even my sin, even my sin. Just before Jesus was arrested, now Jesus is born, got the Christmas story, got the apostle Paul looking back. But in the middle of all that, on the night that Jesus was gonna be arrested, he gathers with his apostles, his closest friends one last time, and they're gonna celebrate Passover. 
And of course, they thought this is the night Jesus is gonna rip off his rabbi robe and it's gonna have a big M, Messiah. We're gonna take, you know, take the city back, take the nation back because they still didn't understand. He did not come to save them from Rome. He came to save them from their sin. And it wasn't just about Israel, it was about the whole world. And they're having the Passover meal and Jesus does the unthinkable. The, the only way I can describe this is imagine that tonight as we're gathered here and assuming that you're, you know, I'm your pastor and you attend one of our churches or you attend this church. Imagine if I got up here on Christmas Eve and said, hey, I know normally that you know, at Christmas we celebrate the birthday of Jesus. Well, from now on, we're gonna celebrate my birthday. Now you wouldn't laugh though. You know, you would never come back. You would make sure the elders knew and the psychologist, psychiatrist was called or they would just wrap me up and took me somewhere. Imagine me declaring, we're no longer celebrating the birthday of Jesus. It's my birthday, December 25th. Well, see, you can't even imagine it. What Jesus did on this night was far, 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 far more disconcerting. He said, gentlemen, you know how since you were a child, you have celebrated God delivering our ancestors from Egypt? Yeah, that's what the Passover is all about. He says, well, from now on, I don't want you to celebrate this meal in remembrance of that. I want you to celebrate this meal in remembrance of me. And they should have all gotten up and left the room. But what he was saying is, gentlemen, you don't understand it now, but tomorrow I'm gonna put on a demonstration of love that's gonna take your breath away because it's gonna take my breath away and it's gonna take your sin away. And two and a half days later, when you see me having risen from the dead, then you'll understand that what you'd heard the angel said was true. That what you'd heard from the people who grew up with me was true. That what the prophet said to the nation of Israel was true. That God has done something for the world, in the world, for the people of the world. I want you to do this in remembrance of me and the sacrifice I'm about to make on behalf of you. And here's what's amazing. Again, it's unexplainable. For 2000 years, that's what Christians have been doing. We've gathered to adore the baby from Bethlehem. And when we celebrate communion, we celebrate what he did. So how is it that a baby born in the most unremarkable place to an otherwise unremarkable couple in the first century came to be adored by so many? Here's how it happened. For God so loved the world and for God so loved you in spite of you that he sent his son into the world to be the savior, to pay for our sin, to establish an upside down kingdom and to invite us to follow him. And that's why we adore him. And that's why tonight, all over the world, millions and millions of people stop and gather and remember the story of the birth of a savior, the birth of a king, the birth of our Lord. It changed the world. Most of us are here because it changed us. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for our churches. Thanks for this church. Thanks for the privilege of being a pastor. Thank you for the story of Christmas. Thank you for the reality of that. And Father, wherever this lands with us, 
Would you give us the courage to embrace that? Father, if this was a reminder, I pray that we would take it with us. Father, if this is the first time in a long time our hearts have been stirred, I pray that we wouldn't ignore that. And that in these next few minutes as we celebrate communion, that it would maybe mean something new, it would mean something fresh, that we would sense this is more than just a Christmas, that in this moment, we are connected to the saints through the ages as we celebrate and adore your son in Jesus' name, amen.